This episode of The Midwife Crisis deals with the very difficult topic of infant and pregnancy loss and may be challenging for some listeners. Discretion is advised. Hello, my name is Kate. Hello, and I'm PR, and this is The Midwife Crisis, because it's not just you. Today we wanted to change gears a bit and talk about something that is a challenging topic, yet one that many women and families express that they wish we talked about more, and that is pregnancy and infant loss. We are so thankful today to be joined by one of my best friends, the incredible Megan Constantino, certified nurse midwife. Megan's not only an accomplished midwife, an awesome mama, and a really good friend, but she's also the former program director of Hope After Loss. Welcome, Megan. She's my friend, too. (laughs) Thanks, guys. (laughs) It's good to be here. Megan, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? You could tell us about your work or what kind of midwife you are. So uh, I have been a midwife now for... I guess 13 years. Um, I started off as a midwife um, in a clinic setting and then moved to private practice where I have worked with both of you guys uh, and um, and then have since for the past few years moved to another clinic setting. Um, uh, up until about five years ago, I did full scope midwifery where I did, uh, you know, well woman exams, I did prenatal visits, and I did birth. Um, and uh, about five years ago, I stopped doing birth but maintained the rest of my practice. Uh, in my current job, I um, uh, don't step foot in a hospital for the most part and just take care of women in the office. So something else that's kind of special about Megan is that she is my midwife grandma. So she kind of trains the person who trained me, and she also trained me um, up until she had her son. Um, so anyway, we have a special relationship. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, a couple weekends ago, um, Megan and myself and another one of our friends who also works in women's health um, were all together at brunch and talking and laughing and you know just kind of everywhere we go, as PR and I have said, we, we talk about what we do. So the waitress came over and said, oh, what do you guys do? And we told her that Megan and I were midwives and our friend is an OBGYN. And she got so excited. She's like, oh my gosh, that's so much happiness and so much life every day. That must be such an incredible job. Um, and I think we all kind of smiled politely at her and we said, yeah, it, it really is most of the time absolutely wonderful, but it isn't always. Um, And she was really struck by that. She really, um, I think, had a hard time wrapping her head around the idea that some women and families don't get to take their babies home or lose them long after they have babies. Um, She's blessed, I think, in that regard. Um, But I think that's one of the reasons why it's so important that we talk about this today. Um, I didn't have the good fortune to be at that um, soiree, <laughs> that little brunch. It actually was really weird. It, it was like eating at a buffet at someone's baby shower. So we're probably not going to go back there. Uh, there you didn't, there, you there didn't might have been paper anything. plates. There was paper plates. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm happy then. I guess I wasn't there. The company was great, though. But um, they did tell me about it. And so uh, today I we thought we would have a conversation about this challenging topic of, of pregnancy and infant loss. Um, Because it's something that women do want us to talk about. And what we'd like to do is share our own experiences and some factual information about loss and reflect on how we can support each other and be better at being inclusive and supportive um, as providers, uh, uh, women, and as friends. Um, So we thought we might start by um, sharing our loss stories. And since I'm talking, I think I'll go first. Uh, if you guys don't mind, if, if that's okay with you. And my, my story is pretty brief. Uh, I was a grad student, and when you are a grad student, you're under a lot of stress, and things happen, like you miss your period, and you don't realize what's going on, and you don't really care what's going on because you are busy. And also, I had an IUD in place, and I thought, I'm, I'm safe, and I'm probably missing my period because I am um, under a lot of stress. So I had, on the day that this occurred, I started to have a lot of pain, 
and I was studying for a statistics exam. You guys remember statistics, I right? Still, I still have nightmares about statistics. <laughs> I, I was a mathlete, so it wasn't so so <laughs> terrible. I liked it. Show off. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it, it gives PTSD to most. Um, so anyways, I was really, you know, determined to do really well on this exam and, I, and being competitive as sometimes I can be. And so I was working on it, but the pain just increased as the day progressed. And my friends are sort of, what's going on? What's wrong with you? And I said, I don't know. I'm just having a lot of bad. It's, it's, this isn't really good. And they said, well, the exam is in, it's coming up close. It's like in an hour or two. What are you going to do? And I said, I can't. I have to do the exam. And it got so severe, I went into the restroom and uh, sat on the toilet and just basically expelled a fetus. That's what happened because I, the pain was horrible and plop. And I stood up. I got great relief. And I stood up and looked back in the toilet and I said, oh, my goodness. What, what should I do? And I, I was torn between wanting to scoop it out and thinking, okay, I'm just going to send it on its way. Um, it, it's... You know, thinking about it, I've thought about it many times since then, but just kind of thinking about it right now, it's 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 very clear. It's like it happened a, a week or two ago, <clears throat> because I still see it very very vividly. And so I flushed and I went back and I was just feeling so much better, and I, it was clear what it, what had gone on. Um, and I went back and I they said what's happening? And I said, I feel much better. And I said, I just miscarried. And they said, what? what? We need to take you to the, you know, to the uh, infirmary and see what's happening. I said, no, I got to take the, ex the exam. We went to take the exam. Um, oddly enough, I aced the exam. It was the <laughs> only stats exam I've ever aced. Uh, and then I went to uh, the infirmary and they did a pregnancy test, and of course it was positive because you still have pregnancy hormones, and they show up positive in your system. And they said, you know, we have to take that IUD out because it had overstayed its its time. It was supposed to have been removed, and I had left it in because I just said, why not? Um, and the important part of this story is uh, some of my family don't even know that I was pregnant. Um, I never told my own mom, sorry, mom, that I was pregnant. And part of the issue there was um, I didn't, I felt like I didn't need to be pregnant. I had uh, children already, and I was in school, and I needed to finish school, and I felt like, okay, this is the universe taking care of things for me. And so I didn't even allow myself to process that, the loss, it was sort of like, okay, things are taken care of and I don't have to um, process the loss. And also, I come from a culture of I'm supposed to be strong and I'm even if you have a loss, you're supposed to just soldier through and just keep going. And the truth is, this isn't about being black or being white or being Latina or being anything and from any ethnic group. It's about being human. Mm -hmm. I'm a human, and that was a baby, and it yeah. went away. Whether I needed to have a baby or not, didn't need to have a baby, and I have feelings, and so, um, and I didn't get to process that. Right. And so um, I think I'm going to end my story there and let these guys, because we can tie it all together at the end. But uh, that's something that everyone deserves to do, is to sort of process what happened to them, and um, and I'll explain a little bit later why I didn't share with everyone um, the whole experience, and it has to do with the, the, the potential reactions and negative reactions. Well, thank you for sharing with us. Yeah, thank you, Pam. Um, we thought maybe Megan would want to go next. My story's a, a bit long, That's but okay. I'll try to, sure. no, take to make it appropriate tell, um, tell us your story well I usually start I, I tell my story a lot um, because I find that it's very helpful and I often start off by telling people that 
I was about 28 weeks pregnant uh, with my firstborn when the doctors told me that my baby would, would most likely die. Um, it had been a very easy physical pregnancy, but had been hard emotionally from the get-go. Uh, when I went for my first dating ultrasound, they saw an empty sack, and so we thought I was having a form of a miscarriage, um, but we weren't quite sure, and we scheduled an ultrasound a week later, but I spent that week feeling what I thought was awful, like I thought I was miscarrying. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, a week later, when I saw the ultrasound with a little heartbeat, you know, I cried, I was so excited that, um, that I was, I was not miscarrying. Um, and, um, but then I tiptoed through the whole first trimester because everyone always thinks we just got to get through that first trimester. And I thought I knew what it felt like to miscarry. Um, and I didn't ever want to go back to those feelings, even though I, I hadn't. Uh, and so as we were approaching the end of the first trimester, I, I, told my family cautiously saying, you know, we're, we're pregnant and, um, but, but don't tell anyone yet. We have this ultrasound coming up. Once, um, once we get through that, then, um, you feel free to share the news and come that ultrasound, uh, the sonographer had to pull the doctor in and they told us that something was wrong. This is an ultrasound that, uh, I elected to have it's a genetic ultrasound, basically assessing the risk of chromosomal abnormalities like Down syndrome and trisomies. And they're measuring the thickness of the baby's neck. And based on the thickness of my baby's neck, um, it was clear that w there was a high chance that there was something uh, something wrong with my baby. They laid out a table and uh, of what the possibilities could be, which included um, Down syndrome or another tri another trisomy, some of which were livable and some of which were not, uh, a major birth defect, a healthy baby but stillbirth, um, and um, and when you lay out all the numbers, the chance of something being wrong was about one in three. My husband is an engineer, and so he looked at that number and was like, great, there's a 66% chance that everything is fine. And me being a midwife, having dealt with these kind of numbers on these kind of tests before, this was a very high number. So I, um, and uh, so from there, we elected to do invasive testing. I had a CVS, which is a chorionic villi sampling, which involves um, a needle in my belly that goes through the uterus and takes a little sample of the placental tissue, and they can test that for chromosomes and more. The, the testing has become very advanced. Um, and it's as accurate as you're going to get. Nothing's 100%, but um, as accurate as you're going to get prior to birth. Um, and uh, I spent a painful weekend trying to stay off the internet, but unsuccessfully um, to figure out what was wrong. Um, and when the phone call came in um, the, the following Monday from my midwife, she said to me, Megan, it's Down syndrome. And at that point in time, I was relieved. Um, of all the possibilities, mm -hmm. Down syndrome for me was livable. And, um, and the other ones uh, might not have been. And I had said to my husband even before we did this test, because I chose to do this test for me for information. Um, and I said, you know, if our baby has Down syndrome, I think we're, our family is in a place where we could uh, raise a child with special needs. And, um, and so when we got that news, I welcomed it as, um, as good news. Uh, and so then we just, uh, you know, continued on to the pregnancy slowly because uh, my next question to the midwife was, um, and the genetic counselor actually was, what's the risk of loss with a baby with Down syndrome? And they said it was 20% in the second trimester and 12% in the third. So that whole getting through the first trimester and taking a deep breath and feeling relief was gone. Um, so I just continued to tiptoe. Uh, we got to 18 weeks uh, and then 22 weeks where we had two big ultrasounds looking at the baby's anatomy um, and we found out that my baby's only um, issue was club feet which for me was not major at all and it didn't appear that my baby had any heart defects which is pretty common in um, children with down syndrome about 50 percent of the time so I could finally breathe I could actually envision after 22 weeks that okay I'm going to potentially go home with a baby with down syndrome I started building a baby registry my husband and I attended uh, the Connecticut Down Syndrome Congress um, annual convention where we learned all about Down syndrome, um, went to lectures, met a pediatrician who, who specializes in it, and then um, met some other new or expectant parents with babies of Down syndrome. Um, it was great. 
and um, and then we went to the next follow-up ultrasound, and I'm sitting there looking um, pretty happy at this ultrasound because I wasn't expecting anything to happen. I was just worried about the growth because babies with Down syndrome can be small, and the growth was good. Everything was looking good until um, the sonographer said that there was uh, very low fluid. Um, and uh, when it comes, I was 27 weeks, and when it comes to low fluid at that point, um, it can be pretty significant. Uh, you, babies need fluid for their lungs to develop, um, and when there's low fluid at that point in time, two things are uh, at risk. Well, more than that, there the it usually means that there's something wrong with the kidneys, provided that you haven't broken your water and and the placenta is working, which both neither were the case for me um and that's what they figured out is that my baby's kidneys weren't working and then once there's low fluid the lungs pretty much stopped developing and so whenever the fluid became low sometime for me between 22 weeks and 27 weeks the fluid um the lungs would stop developing at that point and a baby with 22 week size lungs um is is potentially not viable that baby might not live and a baby with 27 week lungs might though it still would be difficult plus dealing with a kidney issue plus dealing any other potential issues going along with down syndrome um after a whirlwind weekend in the hospital just to figure out what was going on i'm meeting with specialists my husband and i opted to to leave the hospital go home and let our baby do what our baby was going to do we were also at risk for stillbirth because when there's no fluid there's nothing there to cushion the cord and the baby could sit in the cord and um and uh, stop the oxygen flow and increase the risk of stillbirth. So we just took it day by day. We'd see our midwives weekly, check in about heart rates, make sure the baby was still alive. Um, I took some time off of work because it was very hard for me to be a midwife and see pregnant women um, carrying a baby that they were carrying babies that they might be happy to be carrying or not happy to be carrying. Um, they might be complaining about things that are significant and complaining about things that to me felt like they weren't significant uh, compared to my issues um so i took some time off of work and but it was hard to be off work you know being a midwife is also a lifestyle it's mm -hmm. it's our identity so i i I, I went back um, and just continued on. Uh, at 34 weeks, I went into the hospital to, for continuous monitoring because at that point in time, we were ready to do whatever intervention we needed for our baby. And um, I stayed pregnant for a couple more weeks. And on Valentine's Day of 2014, um, at 36 weeks, I went into labor. It was earlier than I thought. We were planning an induction somewhere between 37 and 39 weeks. Um, I wanted to stay pregnant as long as I could, but babies sometimes have other plans. And after a relatively short labor, um, uh, my daughter Mabel was born. Um, and she was quickly whisked away to the NICU where she went from oxygen to CPAP to a ventilator. Um, we had met with the NICU specialists ahead of time and said the one thing we didn't want is to be on a treatment train. Like if, if she can live, we'd like to, would like to help her. But if things aren't going to get better, we want to know because I just did not want her to die in that little like NICU table by herself. If she was going to die, I wanted it to be in our arms and, um, and as comfortably as possible. I didn't want tubes or anything in her if we could prevent it. And so we spent some time with her afterwards um, and she um, and uh, they could tell, the doctors could tell right away that um, her lungs weren't working. One had a hole in it from the ventilator and the other one just, um, you couldn't even really tell if it was well formed and her she couldn't hold up her oxygen sa saturation. So we knew we just had time with her. And um, we asked the doctors to tell us when the time was getting close so that we could take off the tubes. So we had about six and a half hours with her um, and uh, had some family visit, had all my midwives and my, my maternal fetal medicine doctor visit, some friends visit, um, had a blessing and um, then took out the tubes and my daughter died about 20 minutes later in my arms uh, with my husband and family by my side. Um, and we buried her a few days later. And so that's my, my, my longest story of loss. I did actually have a very early miscarriage later on um, between my th my third pregnancy, so Mabel was my first pregnancy. I then went on to have a living son, and then I had when I was about to try for my second living child, I had um, uh, a, a very early miscarriage. It was su I was very surprised. I had been trying for since the birth of my older son, and I was about to start fertility treatments and got a positive pregnancy test, um, and a week later um, started bleeding. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. And I know that 
no matter how many times you tell a, you know, a story or your history like that, and it's painful, it doesn't, it's not an easy um, story to tell. So it's we appreciate not, it. It, it. It gets easier and it's, it's nice to tell the story. It's such a huge part of me. As your friend, I always like to talk about Mabel and I always like to hear you talk about Mabel because I can see like the happiness. I can see her emanating out of you and it's it's really beautiful. Thank so you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Um, so I will go ahead and share my lost story and um, you know I find it kind of interesting um, and I wanted Megan purposely to go before I went because um, for a long time um, I d also did not share really my lost story um, and the only reason why I felt like I could start feeling okay about it and sharing it was actually because of Megan because Megan um, was my midwife and she um, talked to me so um, I've actually talked about this before as well so I'm going to sort of go based on that but um, for a long time after my miscarriage I felt really ashamed to feel sad you know when you work in obstetrics and you see people having you know different scenarios happen and you see people who lose their babies at all different types of gestations um, you know even having one of my best friends you know only have six hours with her full-term baby that she carried to term um, I just felt really guilty and ashamed that I felt so sad about my loss. Um, it was really early. Uh, I thought I was like maybe eight weeks along or so at my first ultrasound and um, they saw what they thought was an empty sack and they thought maybe my dating was wrong. And I spent so much time on all these message boards about people with similar to Megan's story um, where people had, um, had, you know, what's called a blighted ovum or an empty sack and then they wait the week and the next ultrasound, there's their baby. Um, and I remember uh, my husband being like, yeah, that's that's gonna be us, this is it, this is this baby. And um, and it wasn't, that, that baby you know, was never there. And so not long after I had lost that baby, um, I, had, <laughs> I needed a, uh, what's called the DNC, it's the surgical um, sort of assistance to clean everything out of the uterus after um, you have uh, early miscarriage and uh, I remember going to my doctor and uh, it was right around my birthday and saying you know what I have my birthday off so let's just do it on my birthday and she said whoa yeah she <laughs> said I will not do this on your birthday you will take one day off of work and I said no I really I don't want to bother anyone and she said no absolutely not you know we're not doing it on your birthday um, and I'm thankful for her telling me that to this day because Hallelujah. yeah I still got I still got a different day um but after this, I, I was grieving a lot. I woke up from anesthesia from that, um, from that procedure crying and feeling a real loss every time I'd be away from my husband. I felt this emptiness um, when he left me. And this baby would have been due uh, in January around my mom's birthday. And the, um, the January birth flower is called a snowdrop. And so I thought, um, I'm going to get a snowdrop tattoo. Uh, if anyone knows me, they know I'm covered in tattoos. And that's mm -hmm. how I cope with a lot of my, um, I don't know, feelings. So I'd mentioned it to a friend, and uh, she, she made fun of me. She laughed and was like, what? For that, for that blighted ovum? You weren't even pregnant. You know, like, really? Um, and it, it totally shut me down. And I just, I heard that and I said, she's right. What is wrong with me? Like, I have so much to look forward to. I have, you know, so much wonderful, so many wonderful things in my life. And I just totally shut it down and I pushed it away. Um, until I had already had my oldest son. Um, I was training to become a midwife and I got unexpectedly uh, pregnant with my second son. Um, I was having a really anxious day. I remember I was in the office and for some reason I was just, so worried about this baby um I was still early I was worried about you know that I hadn't really cared for this pregnancy and for whatever reason this day I was just really bothered and Megan could tell I was training with Megan and she was like what what's going on she was also actually very pregnant at this time um <laughs> so two pregnant ladies you know and I'm getting all teary and I said you know I'm I'm worried and I kind of confided in her what had happened and how I never really kept 
thinking about or processing my loss, but that I, it continued to sort of make me worried. And and she acknowledged my loss, and she acknowledged my fears, and she acknowledged my feelings. And just like what I've learned to do for my patients, um, she reassured me. She um, you know made space for my worry. She said, "Let's go listen to this baby. Let's go make sure everything's okay." And it was. Um, and she that day gave me my permission to grieve. And I think that was when I really kind of processed it. Um, so I'm really, really, really thankful to her. Um, and, you know, I like to talk about that baby that would have been there. Um, it was here for a brief moment. It would be uh, six years old now, turning seven. Actually, seven, seven years old this year. Um, and it was the same, the day that we had our positive pregnancy test for that baby was the same day that my husband's um, grandmother passed away. And, wow. it, and it was due on my mom's birthday. So I always remembered Lots thinking. Lots of connections. Yeah. And I always, I always wanted three babies. I have two now. And I always say that, that was kind of my third. And I always felt like it, it might have been a girl because of all those sort of feminine, you know, connections. Um, so, yeah. So uh, I always say it's, it was my blighted ovum and my broken heart. That was that baby. And wow. That's, and that's my loss. These are the our, our stories are very poignant. I'd like us to sort of have a conversation and pull them together about how they changed us, how they changed us as women, how they changed us as providers. Um, what are the hardest things that we had to listen to people say? What were the good things that people said that were helpful to us? Because mm -hmm. these are the things that um, that other women are need basically that they need that they're not hearing and that they're saying no one talks it's like a secret and so um i'd like for us to kind of just um converse about it a little bit okay what kind of support would have been helpful or was helpful and how can we better support women trans men gay men everybody through like be inclusive in supporting folks through the loss who wants to start well, I feel like I already I already pretty much shared. Um, you know, I was lucky enough that I that I had that loss and um, that it was before I was a midwife. And I really feel like as a midwife now, um, when I have to go through these things with patients, I really allow them to grieve. And I remember before this happened to me, feeling like, ugh, it was only five weeks. Like, really, you're gonna you're gonna be sad about this. You were barely pregnant, mm -hmm. um, and you hear that. You hear that term mm -hmm. a lot. That person's barely pregnant. Why are they so upset? Um, There's no such thing as barely pregnant. <laughs> right, exactly. And so that really, it's it, sometimes we get a little jaded in our business mm -hmm. um, and we say things like she's, not, she's barely pregnant. Oh, my God, it's five weeks and it's like eye rolling and all. But it means different things to different women, right. different people, right. if you're a trans man who's pregnant. And so... Um, you know, th that's something that uh, requires a little bit of um, learning and open-mindedness on, on the parts of some providers and some women is to stop and just um, stop the shaming. Mm -hmm. Just accept it for whatever it is. Right. If someone is, is ta speaking to you about their blighted ovum or their five-week pregnancy or whatever their loss was, you need to meet, let's meet each other where we are yep i i think i don't know what do you guys think yeah what do you think megan because i think you have you have a broader spectrum of yeah. i've i've had not only the i've had not only the chance to help women through loss as their provider both before my losses and after but also to be a peer in the loss community doing a lot of work with a local resource hope after loss so um uh hearing people's stories and it's really it's it's really interesting, um, uh, even among people who've had loss, how much uh, how difficult it can be when people have different losses. Mm -hmm. And I like what PR said about meeting each other where they are, and that's something that we've really, you know, stressed in the loss community. So when um, when people come in who people have had early losses and they hear stories of people who have later losses, sometimes they feel like they don't belong, mm -hmm. and um, what we help what well, I think groups help them realize is, you know, when you have an early loss, yes, you might not have been pregnant as long, but you lose other things. You lose a chance to potentially announce your pregnancy, your chance to um, to 
look pregnant, to have a baby shower, you lose other things. There's all these other secondary losses um, versus someone who loses later might have enjoyed their pregnancy, um, but then had the loss, um, had to have a different kind of delivery than someone who had an early loss. Um, so finding that common ground is important. Um, I think my loss myself has changed me hugely. I think back to all those times when I was helping people through loss prior to my own um, and all the times where I misspoke. You know, I didn't know. Um, yes. And so I think it's so important that we're speaking up about things that are, are hurtful, that yes. we don't know. They, they, the intentions are good, um, but the feelings are bad. Um, I remember give us some examples? Yeah, yeah, I remember being with a woman uh, who had an early loss. It was a first trimester, I think maybe eight weeks pregnant. And she looked at me and she said, what am I going to tell my six-year-old? And in my head, um, I just kept thinking, I can't believe she told her six-year-old. Why are you telling anyone you're pregnant <laughs> like, like at this point in time? And after my loss, now I understand, like I, I kind of think every pregnancy should be celebrated, especially you know if it's a wanted pregnancy and you're ready for it. Like this was clearly a very wanted pregnancy for this woman. Of course she was celebrating it and let her have this, this in some ways, blessed and like innocence where things are supposed to work out. So, um, so I'm upset at myself for even having those thoughts. Um, I didn't have any good answers for her. Um, I, I just before I, um, I got pregnant with Mabel, I had a very dear patient, um, who I helped. She didn't, she hadn't had a loss history. Um, and I was, she just had, um, a postpartum issue. And in her second pregnancy, she lost her baby to stillbirth a few days after her due date and this her experience followed by another um miscarriage i um after that i hold this experience with me um and thinking about how i try to help her through this when she had her miscarriage after loss and i remember saying things like maybe your your baby needed someone with them and that's why you lost your second baby which is not necessarily helpful i'm trying to fix the problem mm -hmm. and um and that's one thing i like to share with people when someone has a loss you can't fix it Right. You could just be with them. Right. So don't try and fix it. Don't try to make it better. There's nothing you can say that's going to make it better. All, what makes it better is allowing people to feel their feelings, share their stories, and just being with them. That's right. huge. That's huge. Right. I feel like it um, changed me as a provider because when we're looking at how many times a woman has been pregnant and we see that column of losses and especially if they're early losses we just kind of gloss right over it mm -hmm. we tend I have tended to do that and so when I'm taking a history I let her be the guide in terms of if it's how what kind of standing it has for her and the importance that it has for her mm -hmm. there in the early the immediate time after I had that miscarriage I didn't even say that I had miscarried. Like I put it away and didn't, and people would say, well, how many times have you been pregnant? And I said, well, I have this many kids and this is how many times I've been pregnant. Mm -hmm. And, and that later on, I felt like that was so unfair yeah. when I became pregnant again, almost immediately, <laughs> not on purpose again. Um, I thought, uh, this isn't right. You know, I, as the pregnancy progressed, I was like, you have to count that. You need to be yeah. telling people, yeah. mm -hmm. even your midwife, like <laughs> you have to say that's what happened. And I say even my midwife, because I was a grad student, I was cared for by the university service, but because I was becoming a midwife, um, my favorite midwives agreed to care for me and and catch my babies, mm -hmm. even though I wasn't being seen by that practice. So that's why I said, you have to tell your midwives because and people would say, well, weren't her midwives taking care of her? Weren't they the ones who did the pregnancy <laughs> test? No, they weren't the ones who did the pregnancy test to say, oh, you're pregnant. We have to take this, this IUD out. It was like two different services, two different practices. Yeah. And so initially, no, I, I, I didn't even, it wasn't because I was ashamed. I was married. I was, there was no shame. It was just sort of like, you didn't need to be pregnant. It was, it was like the practical me and no one's going to 
what are they going to do? You can't celebrate, you can't mourn, and you can't just move on. Right. And so it was, but I, that's your, that's part of my story. Yep. That's part of my history. Mm-hmm. And so now I address, I sort of deal with patients the same way. Like that's part of your story. Mm-hmm. You, you, you don't have to poo-poo it away. Yep. And even in those situations where, where women have voluntarily decided that they would interrupt a pregnancy, I'm like, that is your decision. Right. You have a right. You had a right to make that decision, and I am not judging you. Right. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be, you don't come to me with shame of all people mm-hmm. because I'm here to care for you, and I take all of your story with you. You, you bring it all with you. And so I feel like it, it made me better in that way. Yeah. And, and they feel more comfortable, you know, sort of when we're sorting out what that column means. Is it, was it spontaneous or was it, you know, something you did voluntarily? I, I, I encourage them. I say, you can tell it all. It's not, you don't have to be come with shame. Right. And so um, I think that they appreciate that. Absolutely. People didn't say, there wasn't anything hard for people to say because I kept it a secret. <laughs> and they so they didn't say anything other than let's go to the infirmary. Well, to do what? It's not they can't fix it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know. Unfortunately, when I th- thought back, I had missed a few periods, <laughs> and so it was quite advanced. And yeah. that was it, the the good news. Uh, they said, "Well, are you ble- ble- bleeding heavily? Like we're all gonna we're all gonna play midwife now, right? Like professional <laughs> midwife, and we're all students." And no, I'm not bleeding heavily. I just feel so much better. Let's just go take the test. Let's just, it, it'll be fine. I'm going to go right after. It'll be fine. And then the next day I went to school and they said, how are you? And I said, I'm fine. Everybody's fine. It's all fine. Yeah. Fine, 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 fine. And so <laughs> I think, um, you know, the, they were all supportive and that was helpful for me. But it was the situation wasn't, it wasn't a thing yeah. per se. And so I'm looking to you folks to teach me how to better support, you know, I, I, the little bit of experience that I had personally. Yes, I learned something from that, but I'm learning from you guys, mm-hmm. you know, how to better support. Um, and I think that's beautiful what Megan was able to do for, for you, Kate, um, yep. you know, in, in your situation. And it, yeah. it sort of helped you grow and stuff, too. And You so, know, um, it's, um, it's uncomfortable right to to talk to someone about their loss and about their pain um but i think from my experience and um i don't know megan can probably chime in better on this but i think sometimes as you said it's just it's nice to be able to talk about it and mm-hmm. if the person's not trying to fix it and is just listening with an open ear and and we have to allow people to do that you know you're telling your story pr and i'm remembering um you know, I've shared before that my partner and I were trying for a long time to get pregnant. And so when we had this loss, it was sort of compounded. It was, you know, mm-hmm. almost 18 months of trying. And then, oh, my gosh, it's finally going to happen right before I went to reproductive endocrinology, similar to, um, <laughs> you know, Megan's second loss. And uh, and then I had this this miscarriage. And then um, and I didn't tell a lot of people because I'd been shut down by someone I cared about. Mm-hmm. And so I remember that Christmas, um, my mother-in-law said something like, oh, I was really hoping for a baby this Christmas. Ugh. And it hurt me so deeply. It was unfair to her that it that it hurt mm-hmm. me because she didn't know. Right. I didn't share anything with her right. about, about us trying to conceive, about um, all the struggles we'd been having, about you know, how it was hard in our relationship and how absolutely devastatingly sad I was. Um, I didn't share any of that. But hearing those words was very hard. Um, yeah. And I feel bad that I didn't tell her. Well, I, I think, Kate, that you bring up a very good point where we don't know everyone's story, which which applies to so many different parts of life. But when it comes to pregnancy story, um, it, it's huge. You, you, when I was in the depths of my loss, I remember I was in Ikea and, um, and I, here I was walking around and nobody knew that I just had a baby. Like I really just had a baby. And I saw this woman I knew professionally there with a baby in a carrier on her chest and another like toddler by the hand. And I, I just shut down my heart sank. It, it was Anger, jealousy, grief, all mixed in, thinking like there's there's someone I know. There's mm-hmm. yeah, another pre- like person with like this happy little life. Mm-hmm. Good for her. Here I am. I have no baby to show for it. Um, and um, and Jess was yearning for 
something different, a different outcome for me. And a few months later, I saw the same person at um, a remembrance walk where she was remembering her firstborn who was stillborn. Uh, and I didn't know that. Mm. And it was such an eye-opening experience for me. Yeah. So, uh, wow. which almost I wished to have a little sooner because part of the grief cycle for me, um, well, for a lot of people is anger. And, and for me, it, it manifested as jealousy. Wow. Um, and that was helpful to know that people are walking around with all these silent losses. I should have known that I was walking around with right. one, but there she was like, not everyone who has a happy life. People who see me now, I feel like my life is very full. Um, it's not complete, but it's full. Yeah. And, um, and they might not know all that I went through to get here. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and, um, I was also thinking about, you know, the words that we use, uh, and it is so easy to try and, use words to fill that negative space that that yes. is so uncomfortable yeah. right. um, and even I I have been through loss I have professionally helped people through loss in different ways and I still don't always know what to say um, I recently was with someone who lost their baby full term and sat with her and it still felt uncomfortable because loss is always uncomfortable right. I of all people could have said things to her we had very similar stories in many ways and I still didn't know what to say so number one it's okay not to know what to say mm -hmm. and you can say that you can say I'm so sorry I don't know what to say rather than trying to fill it out uh, fill that space with other words that um, other platitudes that come across good intention but can be hurtful such mm -hmm. as everything happens for a reason that's um, the absolute worst oh, one it is. who came up with that I don't know I want to stab them <laughs> I don't know but I heard it from the beginning with when I was pregnant with Mabel when Ugh. but she had down syndrome so I had been hearing that and that made me mad then too right. and I was expecting a living baby at that time like oh this is only the what are the phrases like that God gives only what they what someone can handle um mm. you're so strong um I could never do what you're doing Ugh. um and then another one that's one of my top favorites is at least and I had another a very good friend who very well-intentioned said you know at least you got to hold her my my grandmother lost a baby and she never got to see her and blah 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 and um and I, I felt nothing when he said that I actually felt like less than nothing I felt a little angry like at least I should be happy that I got to help hold my dying baby um which yeah. is not what he meant what he yes. meant to say was I am so glad I'm so grateful you got to hold her right. and that's um just a little little word that I try to incorporate yeah. into um my talking when I'm talking to people through loss and it's also helped me in my own loss thinking about things I am grateful for I am so grateful that I got to hold her. And I'm grateful that I got to hold her alive, which is this really weird thing to be grateful for because in the mm -hmm. lost community and in real life, stillbirth is something that none of us have experienced, no. but that is surprisingly common compared to a lot of losses. My type of loss is not that common, right. um, but uh, a term stillbirth is much more common than mine. And that's something we don't talk about, mm -hmm. but I, can show a picture of my baby on the vent. Right. I can show a picture because my, you know, in a way that's a little bit more socially acceptable. Right. Um, even, you know, we hear a lot in the news about things like SIDS, which, um, which has a good um, heart tugging um, message to it because those are babies that were living and people interacted with. Yes. But when you look about the numbers, the stats, yeah. in, in the US about 3,500 babies die from SIDS in a year. 24,000 babies are stillborn. Mm -hmm. Not saying one is worse, like more valuable than the other, but why no. are we not talking about stillbirth? Right. Like that's, that's a huge right. loss as well. Right. I mean, I think a big piece of it comes from, um, you know, trying to preserve some innocence. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, that, that waitress at our funky brunch was, um, <laughs> she was a really good example of that. She was so blissfully unaware. And, um, you know, further in, she sort of shared, and I'm a twin. And, you know, all of us sort of like cringed because in the birth worlds, we know like twins, twins can be danger, danger. They can be pains in the buns. They yeah. can come early. They can, you know, one only one of them can pass away. I mean, they can have yeah. all different types yeah. of scenarios. And, yeah, um, and just to to hear how absolutely yes. unaware she was is, I think it's harder when people go through that loss not knowing. But I also think there's a, a delicate balance because being pregnant, as we all know, being pregnant and knowing <laughs> all the possibilities is also terrifying. It is. It is terrifying. 
it is, you know, being pregnant, knowing all the possibilities, I thought it was terrifying. And then I got the possibilities and it was just as terrifying as I thought it would be. Um, It is unreal. And I think being pregnant after loss is a very common thing as well. If we're talking about how many people go through loss, we've, especially if you include miscarriage, at least documented miscarriage, you know, 25% of women have had some sort of pregnancy or infant loss at at least. Um, And so we're caring for people. We're sitting next to people who have done this. And a lot of those people go on and become pregnant again. Um, And that's affected my practice. I, I feel like that in a very huge way. Um, Uh, I can make a really concrete difference because Mm -hmm. when someone has had a loss um, and we recognize it, like PR, you were saying, you know, what does this mean to you? How are you feeling? Mm -hmm. I do a lot of, you know, how are you feeling about this pregnancy? And a lot of people are nervous and I say, well, what do you need? How can we how can we help you through this? Mm -hmm. There's usually nothing I can do to prevent necessarily some sort of loss, but I can help with mental well-being. And, you know, you want more frequent appointments? Sure. I'll come. You can come in every week. Let's just schedule it. You need that extra ultrasound, which is not a very midwifery thing to do, extra testing. But for certain populations, it is what they need to decrease their cortisol levels and their anxiety levels and have a a well-bonded pregnancy. Yeah. So I do it. Absolutely. I think it's funny because we were sort of talking about how although – um, you know, last week we were talking about natural births and um, yes. or two weeks ago. <laughs> and um, although we are both midwives, I think we both really maintain that view that it's a it's a partnership between you and the and the woman and the family <laughs> or uh, the trans man, whoever's you know carrying this this pregnancy, whoever's coping. And we need to it's a team effort, you know, mm-hmm. and so exactly that meeting you. Halfway, where, yeah. Well, or where you, where, are. You are. where you are, where you are. Yeah, not halfway. Halfway. Yeah. Kind of it's really just kidding, guys. It's really we see you, and we're going to meet you where you are. You know, yes. I don't, I don't I know. Go, if I go all the way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you want to bridge the two worlds, but I had with my daughter. I had um, I had an epidural, and my two sons. I had no medication, um, and um, and it was it's been a very interesting thing as a midwife to have had my first birth um, be one with an epidural but mm-hmm. in my and it's taken me a lot of time to sort of think on to to process this information um which it's in some ways is a no brainer. Like I was, I did not want to deliver this baby. I wanted to keep her inside of me as long as possible. And, um, and the epidural gave me a, a birth that was peaceful with her. Right. Um, having had two very not peaceful births afterwards, <laughs> a lot of screaming very loud, like, like in all sorts of positions, I was able to have exactly the kind of birth I needed for her, which is, which was lovely. One of the ways we so, sort of show folks that they are not, it's not just you, is um, by giving them some information about um, the stats and and how you're not alone. So, um, Megan, you want to share some? You have some info you yeah. want to share? Sure. So, some basic stats that I throw around to people to give them an idea of how common any sort of pregnancy or infant loss is include um, also include infertility because mm-hmm. that's another kind of loss. That's it the is. loss of the future pregnancy. Oh, it is. Uh, every cycle is a loss. Anyone who's tried to get pregnant unsuccessfully mm-hmm. knows that that negative test or the period coming before you had a chance to test is devastating. <laughs> um, and up to 10% of, of women will experience infertility. Um, and uh, even up, up to 2% could experience um, recurrent pregnancy loss, which is a combination of infertility and loss. Um, the numbers on miscarriage go from anywhere from one in five to one in four women. Um, honestly, it's probably higher. These are clinically recognized pregnancies. There's right. people who, you know, AKA APR, who don't even know that they were pregnant. Um, don't say anything. Yeah. Who have no, like, might not realize. And and for me, when I had my very early loss, you know, I was tracking, I was trying, and therefore I took a test. Um and had I been someone else, I probably was been like, this is a really weird period. I'm having some spotting. And then mm-hmm. a week later, I had my real period. Right. But um, I knew I was pregnant, but some people would have missed that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we talked about 24,000 babies are still born each year in the United States. 19,000 19, uh, babies die in the first month of life in the United States. Um, the 3,500 babies die from SIDS each year, um, and uh, about 24,000 die before their first birthday. So it is pretty common to 
lose a baby in a way. It's hard to sit in a room with women and and not have someone there who's experienced loss. They say, yeah. what is it like one in, if there are 23 people in a room, one of them has your same birthday. Um, if there are 23 people in a room, like six of them have lost the baby. Right. Like that's a, 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 a bigger stat. That's mind blowing. And, mm-hmm. and, and we don't even talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And talk and, and sitting around, like the more you talk, the more you hear. We were, yes. when I was working at hope after loss, I was riding in an elevator at an event um, with other nonprofits and, people being jovial and asking and this this one couple said oh what what's your nonprofit about and we explained and there was an older couple and the woman says i lost the baby and it just opens up doors once you just say we we help people with this yes it opens up doors it does you're giving them permission to share right we're acknowledging their loss sharing space with them um it's huge yep um do we want to share any info on the um, LGBTQIA community? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, African-American women. Yeah, I think um, I think we do tend to get on our own little, PR and I have shared sort of the things that are, infor- inf- oh my goodness, that are interesting to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, for me, uh, you know, identifying as queer and really caring about this specific population of LGBTQIA plus um, patients, um, I think that pregnancy loss can be challenging for them um, because already health care is a little it's bit challenging, challenging <laughs> right? For sure. And this is the most challenging aspect. And so, um, you know, there's been different studies. There was a study done by um, Elizabeth Peel called Pregnancy Loss in Lesbian and Bisexual Women, um, where they were surveyed and, you know, she sort of asked about their experiences. And um, as Megan had touched upon, when you have sort of an infertility, which um, in the case of either two women or two men, you're starting off with infertility because um, we haven't mastered yet getting <laughs> two eggs together and making a baby. If we had, I would have a baby already probably with <laughs> with one of my friends. <laughs> anyway. Um, we but would have a beautiful We baby. would have a beautiful, beautiful, <laughs> sweet milk chocolate baby angel. Um, anyway. Uh, So they are already sort of experiencing this loss. Um, And then it's more of a loss. It's a monetary loss. It's a time loss. Because when you do reproductive endocrinology, it is, you know, every other morning, your whole cycle, ultrasounds, blood work, um, testing, medications. So it's money, it's time, it's investment. And so um, when you have that loss, it's it's exacerbated. Um, There's all these, uh, you know, sort of heterosexisms where um, many times I've seen this in my own practice where I've had beautiful, you know, lesbian couples come in and someone will say, oh, are you the sister? And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, that's her wife. This is their (laughs) baby. Um, And so we need to work harder, I think, as healthcare providers to um, to allow people to share, you know, and to leave an open-ended question. And who, who did you bring with you? You know, oh, this is my wife. And mm-hmm. I, I go the other way and I say to patients, is this your wife? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's my sister. They're like, this, they're like, this is my twin. <laughs> and they'll say, I have a husband. And I say, okay, well, that's cool too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a delicate balance. I do find I, I refer to everyone's anything as a, a partner. Right. So I'll say, does your partner, you know, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes people get very offended by that. Right. You know, especially I find young moms will say, well, it's my husband. I'm like, okay, no yeah. worries. That's awesome for you. It's I, still your partner. I hope. <laughs> I hope it's still your partner. I learned instead of asking, uh, you know, are you the wife? Mm-hmm. Who did you bring with you today? Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Because that's a better question after I was trying to be so super cool and like, is this your <laughs> wife? No, it's not my wife. That's why I said that. So, but, um, but you tried. So that's right. Yeah. So yeah, who did you bring with you today? Yeah. And what do you, what would you like to be called? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the third piece um, that we need to also think about, and it's hard because again, midwives, we think with women, we think women, um, also of course trans men, but we think about sort of those organs as the piece. But um there is this such a larger network um, of potential loss when you're talking about someone who's LGBTQIA. So that could be, um, you know, either lesbian women that are um, conceiving with donor sperm, or sometimes it's a friend. You know, so it may not be mm-hmm. just those two women. It may also be this friend who was involved who's having a loss. Um, it can be uh, gay men or couples having a child 
by a, a surrogate, right. um, which yeah. is someone who carries a baby for carrier. them, and right, a gestational carrier. And so then, we, you know, maybe that person's going through the loss, plus you know this potential parent, sure. um, mm-hmm. whoever they may be. Um, and you know, I always think of transgender men because you may have, you know, retained your your uterus, this organ that is upsetting potentially to you because you want to carry a baby and then if you have a loss um you know to then maybe sort of continue to have these ill feelings um toward this organ or sort of feel like it's failed you again betrayed you yeah um and so i think there's there's a huge a huge view on it that we need to take and that um we need to really try to be inclusive and um you know when we're checking in with women when we're checking in with patients again how's how's everyone doing Mm -hmm. you know we also talk sometimes about the secondary victim and so um you know was her was it going to be her mom's first grandbaby you know and she's Mm -hmm. mourning or things like that I mean I think just being inclusive we could go crazy with that and I understand we don't have you know we have to do a lot in about five minutes (laughs) with a patient um, but just trying to give them some space to share what needs to be shared we also had some information um, regarding the African-American community Uh, there was a study done by Suds by Sudeshna Mukherjee um, regarding risk of miscarriage among uh, black women a comparison regarding black women and white women. Um, she did a study and some colleagues did a study and the long and short of it basically is that when you, um, you know, when you discount, when you sort of line everyone up and take out, you know, mitigating factors that there is a greater risk in the, in the black community when you compare with white women. Um, and, that there is a higher risk of miscarriage in that in the in the black community, um, before if you look at loss before ten weeks, and so that's another uh, issue that doesn't really get talked about a lot. That there are, and I'm not sure what the reason is for that. When you make adjustments for age and alcohol use and that kind of thing, it's still that blacks come out higher lot risk higher risk of loss than whites do. Why that happens, just like a lot of other things, we're not sure why, but it's something to consider. And it's also, you know, we already talked about that cultural element of of blacks kind of negating the loss in the first place if things Mm -hmm. weren't, if it wasn't an expected pregnancy, if they weren't economically prepared, if if things weren't sort of in the right place at the right time. And so it's sort of like, well, phew, got away with that one. Um, And so... um, I think that that's something else, you know, sort of to consider that uh, you're making sure that these women know that they're humans, not with this kind of situation. It's not about being a black human or a white human and knowing that you are a human being. And in this case, if it's happening to you more than other women, we just need to pay attention. Absolutely. Health disparity, um, you know, racial health disparity is huge. And it's something that we really need to um, you know, keep keep in the forefront of our mind, especially if we're going to really be there for all women. For sure. Um, is there any other points that you guys think we should um, we should bring up? Anything today? you want to talk about, Megan, before we kind of close? Or I guess sort of my my take home messages when you're um, dealing with someone with loss, and and some of them we've already talked about, but the the a quick do's and don'ts. Um, for both providers and people. Um, that. that would be so, helpful. Yeah, so these some of these things came up in what we've talked about. So don't use platitudes that everything happens for a reason. Um, do say, I don't know what to say, or I'm so sad that this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, don't say at least. Do say, you know, I'm grateful that. Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. try to fix it. Do listen and just be with someone. Don't avoid or abandon someone who's had a loss. Do remember, like remember birthdays, attend memorials, donate, um, uh, do errands, give gifts, visit, distract. Don't forget. Do say their baby's name. Mm -hmm. Ask about their baby. Light a candle. And don't give up. Um, Some people are not ready to accept help after a loss. Um, 
so do keep trying. Just let it, let people know that you're available, whether you're the healthcare provider. Sometimes you can just call and leave a message, just call, calling to check in. And you can do the same as a friend. Yeah, I know you may not be ready to talk, but I'm just calling to check in. Awesome. That is awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you so much thank for you. being here. Yeah, we, we, we are really so blessed to have your you. Company. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for letting me share Mabel. Um, because she is an she is an integral part of my life. She's who made me a mom, um, and I take any chance to share her with with everyone. Because she was here. She Mabel, was here. Mabel, Mabel was, was here. here. Um, we hope that after today's conversation, that you know that we see you. You are not the only one. It's not just you. It's not just you. Um, we welcome any comments, suggestions, questions at our email, midwifecrisispodcast at gmail.com, on our Twitter at midwifecrisispc, on our Facebook, the Midwife Crisis Podcast. Thank you so much. And um, until next time, remember, it's not just you.
Thank you so much. And um, until next time, remember, it's not just you.